Greetings from Podcastville. The Church of What's Happening Now is brought to you by my bookie. Listen, ever since we started the pop podcast, people always asking me for different type of advice. If I know who's going to win, who's got the over, the under, listen, the truth is, I don't know who's going to win. But if you think you know, you got to check out my bookie. Why? Because it's the only service I recommend to the Church of What's Happening Now listeners, and they've been good to me. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie right now. This weekend is the second weekend of pro football, and you want to be on tap. You understand me? They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you could even bet the over and under. You follow what I'm saying to you? So do me a favor. Join right now at my bookie. We'll match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code CHURCH, C-H-U-R-C-H, to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's MyBookie, and don't forget to use promo code CHURCH when creating your account. You play, you win, you get paid. The show is also brought to you by 23andMe. You guys are sitting there, what's 23andMe? It's a DNA testing service that could offer insights into your ancestry, health, wellness, and traits. The 23andMe Health and Ancestry Service includes reports on how your DNA can influence your weight, sleep quality, caffeine intake, sense of taste, whether you're likely to be lactose intolerant, and a lot of more. What I'm going to do is this for the church family. Order your 23andMe Health and Ancestry Service Kit at 23andMe.com slash church. That's 23andMe.com slash church. C-H-U-R-C-H. That's 23andMe.com slash church. Give it a shot today. Kick that motherfucking mule, Lee. Little Thursday morning, September 13th. Two days away. September 15th is the anniversary when I robbed Michael's Jewelers. Timmy Holloway was the getaway driver. He's going to be at the show Friday night. I don't know why I told you that, but it's a church of what's happening now. You know what I'm saying? And that's all that matters. For you Zeppelin doubters, this is like the fifth, the sixth album. Listen to this shit. Grandma's chemo tablets. We're throwing beef today, cocksuckers. My main man, Peter Siegel, the Christ killer, Lisa Ayat, and your Uncle Joey. Here we go. Now listen. Oh, shit. It's as good as it gets, Uncle Pete. What do you think? Love it. Love it? Grew up on it? Yep. Really? Son's, Son's playing it now. He's an old soul. Really? Yeah. Sons in a band? No, he's uh, studying music at the University of Michigan. Just dropped him off for his sophomore year. And he's, uh, you know, a John Mayer wannabe, a Jimmy Page wannabe. Really? Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. What so he, he's bringing this back. He knows the lyrics to these songs better than I do. Songs that I grew up on. 
What does he think about today's music? Wow. So what is he, 19, 20? Not, just turned 19. 19. He says rock is dying. Okay. You know, it's... No Foo Fighters keeping him alive. No Greta Van. First of all, that shocked me. I'm like, what do you mean rock is dying? He says, no, you got to listen. It's everything is like, you know, um, sampled and, you know, computerized. And, you know, um, it's just different, you know. So I said, you know, you should play rock and he goes yeah but it's kind of dated it's not at its height right now which is shocking for me to hear because that's what i grew up on but he's 19 he knows i don't i mean it's it's i love it i love it but it's getting old right now like that all we have on the radio i mean i listen to lithium i got serious i listen to lithium i listen to ozzy's boneyard there's got to be something else i listen to but 60% of the music on there is Guns N' Roses. Mm -hmm. That's all they play. They play yeah. a lot of Guns N' Roses, those three or four albums in heavy rotation. And, you know, I love the Foo Fighters. I love mm -hmm. David Grohl whenever they come out with something, mm -hmm. you know. I love that these older bands are touring mm -hmm. because uh, kids like your son yeah. are going to watch these guys. Oh, yeah. Whether it's Roger Waters or, uh, you know... I think next week is Judas Priest hmm. and Deep Purple at the L.A. County Fair. Wow. You know how many people have invited me to that next week? And it sounds great. I mean, yeah. I listened to Eddie Trunk, and he was talking about, oh, or Jim Florentine. He was talking about uh, that they're going to do delivering the goods they haven't done it in 40 years. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. They haven't played a song in 40 fucking years. They're going to pull it out this year. Just the thought that they're still on Def Leppard yeah. sold out the garden. Wow. How did that happen? I don't know. But so music is alive in a way. Oh, yeah. Just it's not. Just, it's just evolving as it always does. It's just interesting where it's going. What's up with you, brother? I'm just working. Working you just like finished a movie with? Just finished a movie and starting a movie. So I'm in like the, the vortex of hell right now. So you're a month away from starting a new Yeah, uh, five comedy. weeks away. You're making me poop a little because I should be home writing right now because we still got to finish the script. Okay. You know. You could do that with your eyes closed. You've done <laughs> uh, it before. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, finishing one that opens uh, Thanksgiving, Wednesday. So and that's the one with Jennifer. That's the one with Jennifer Lopez. And was that a romantic comedy? It's a comedy. Okay. People are calling it a romantic comedy. There's some romance in it because there's Milo Ventimiglia, who uh, all the chicks adore. I mean, it's crazy, you know, how how popular he is because of This Is Us. Um, but it's interesting. It's really not their story. I can't really say whose story it is because it kind of gives away a surprise. But... Um, if people want to think of it as a romantic comedy, think of it as a romantic comedy. It's kind of like, if it were to be like something, Working Girl, if you remember that movie. Right, right, right. Are you one of the to-go guy directors now in Hollywood of comedy? Do you have a lot of scripts coming your way for comedic features? I do. It's, you know, it's weird because not as many comedies are being made today as there used to be. Um, it's the big ip things if it's a you know a comic book or a disney animated movie that they're turning into live action or a book those are the movies that studios want to roll the dice on and the mid-range comedies 
whether they're romantic comedies or R-rated comedies, you know, hardly anybody's doing them. If it's if it's not New Line or now STX, which is a studio that I've been working at uh, the past couple of years, they're the only ones doing it. And it's great that they are, but it's not like it used to be where, you know, you'd get offers from Paramount and Warner Brothers and Fox. I mean, they still occasionally make them, but far fewer of the mid-range movies. That's just nuts. Yeah. I see, you know, Kevin Hart's got a movie every six weeks. <laughs> yep. I know Kevin Hart's mm-hmm. always doing something. Our yep. old friend, even though they wrote Pose a Comedy out from time to time. Right. You know, but it's not like, I don't know, it's... When I was growing up, there were two or three smash comedies every year that fucked your world up. There were six or seven good ones, but three that fucked you up. Mm -hmm. Eddie Murphy, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, somebody from Saturday Night Live, something. I don't see that anymore. No, no, that's what I'm saying. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of like what we were talking about with music. It's evolving. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in the future i mean right now i feel like there's so many superhero movies that how can that sustain our business and are we going to look back on it 10 years from now and say remember when we were in that period where all it was was superhero movies or disney which seems to like own the planet earth right now um between pixar and marvel and star wars uh it's just it's an interesting time i loved coco Fantastic. Like, I, I thought it was, I took my daughter, I thought it was fucking great. You yeah. know, those Pixar movies, they take two or three years to make, but yeah. they fucking, they're all home yeah. runs. No, absolutely. You know, it, it takes a lot. It breaks my heart that I'm not the movie guy I used to be. Like, I, you know. And what do you mean by that? You don't go as much? Friday, 11.30. I'm that guy. Mm-hmm. What time does your movie come out Friday, 11.30? Where does it come out? comes out in the Lemley, 11.45. And it comes out in North Hollywood 6 at 11.15. I was at the 11.15 in North Hollywood. And I'd schedule a joint, the Chinese food before. There'd have to be yogurt. Like, I had a process. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't the movie. It was the whole thing. Right. I don't know if it's because I got married. I don't know. I just went to the movies on a date. We go to date night. We go to see Mission Impossible. The last 15 minutes was an hour and a half. Blow the fucking plane up already. <laughs> 15 minutes, I'm waiting my ass. This is an hour and a half in 15 minutes. Yeah. The world's got 15 minutes, and I'm sitting here an hour and a half. Why is that fucking happening? <laughs> you know, why is this happening? I don't need this shit in my world. And I went to see uh, the part two, the equalizer. Yeah. And again, I, nothing top man on fire. After Man on Fire, he could have shot himself in the head because it was so good. <laughs> he was so good, Denzel and Man on yeah. Fire. Yeah, he was a great drunk pilot. Yeah. And he was okay as the fucking whatever. But, you know, it was okay. Like, I didn't remember anything from that. I didn't come home and give you a line. Yeah. I didn't do any of that stuff. I was telling John how when I went to see The Wrestler, I remember sitting there during The Wrestler. I'm watching Mickey Rourke, somebody I loved early on from the Pope of Greenwich Village and then mm-hmm. Angel Hardy's brilliant. And I'm like, why did I come see this movie at 12? This was the first movie I'd gone back to my old self. Like, I went to see that. What's the expensive one on Sunset? Uh, Cinerama Dome. Yeah, I yeah. don't give a fuck. You get the $6 <laughs> fucking chicken sausage with the mustard and the onion. You eat like a doctor. I, you know, you go in there, you drop 50. There's no matinee prices there. Yeah. There's nothing. You pick your, you know which one I'm talking about right yeah. there? On Gower, is it Gower? It's yeah. Cinerama, though. Yeah. yeah. 
You go in there, that's a yardstick. Yeah. You go on oh, a yeah. date day, you drop 80. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Popcorn. You always got to get this chicken sausage. That's the secret. <laughs> this chicken sausage with the fucking mustard and onions. It's brilliant in there. What are we talking about? Oh, but I went in there and I'm watching the wrestler and I'm thinking to myself, what made me come here? Because like with Goodfellas, I was in a halfway house, Pete. I was in a federal halfway house. Peter, I made up a whole story on how I had to go to a hospital or something. No, I didn't. I had a joint. I went for Chinese food and I went to the first viewing of Ghost of Goodfellas with maybe seven other people in the movie theater. I love that shit. Oh, yeah. To be able to leave the movie at two and tell people when the movie. And they're like, we're going tonight. Don't bother. You know, like being a critic for your friends, <laughs> like it sucked dick. You know what I'm saying? Like, I loved all that stuff. I don't do it no more because there's nothing really that grabs me. The wrestler was the last one hmm. that I went and I thought about what made me go see it. And it was something I read online. That's it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's little things. They don't prepare you. The movie studios don't prepare you anymore. It's such a run and gun business. You got two weeks of advertising and I got to catch it in three days. If not, the movie moves on. Mm -hmm. Fucking Superfly and Gotti are already on pay-per-view. Yeah. Well, they, no one no one watches commercials anymore. Who watches commercials? Everyone skips through them. So unless you're at the movies watching a preview, how are you finding out about this movie? Now you have to see it on like Instagram or something like that. Yeah, well, that's true. This movie that I we're never thought about that. This movie that we're advertising right now, um, the Jennifer Lopez one. It's called Second Act. The way the movie is being advertised is completely different. It's relying so much more on digital. So. You know, Jennifer has like 120 million followers, and she released the trailer. And I saw Dwayne Johnson did the same thing for Skyscraper. And that's a bigger reach than they're going to get, you know, uh, on, a, on a TV show. And it used to be a big thing, and it, I guess it still is sort of, but, you know, Super Bowl spots, but they're so expensive now. And people are going to the bathroom during them, so everything's changing. It used to be television was the biggest form of advertising now it's digital and social it was, it's so crazy i'm sorry oh i was just gonna say it's funny what you said about your son because my cousin went to uh ithaca and and he graduated and like a year later they switched from film to digital mm -hmm. and he doesn't he he didn't last because everything he went to school for was out so it's it is you, we've been talking about the change and it's just it's weird how you so sometimes you have no control over it. Like you have, like you probably as a director have had to adapt a ton since you shot a, a movie with Joey, or even three years ago. So the whole business has probably changed a few times. It has changed. I actually was the guy blamed for getting rid of film editing because my first movie we edited on Avid, and it was the first major motion picture to edit to edit entirely digitally. And then I had people like who were mad at me and like Brian Singer on the end of Usual Suspects put, you know, this film was edited entirely on film. I thought, okay, well, that's fine. It's just that I liked, I came from television where we were editing digitally and I thought, well, why aren't they doing this in film? And it was different back then. You had to hose down the mags. Literally, they get so hot and now it's, you don't have half the machinery in the room. So that was, that was, um, how we edited and then from a picture standpoint dean semler who i've done four movies with who did the longest yard and grudge match and grudge match he convinced me on get smart to go digital not shoot film and he literally took me to a theater in hollywood and he ab'd 
the same scene from I forget what movie, and he said, I want you to tell me, you guess, what's film and what's digital. And I got it wrong every time. I said, that's the film. He goes, no, that's digital. And that one, vice versa. So I couldn't tell the difference. I said, okay, we should, we should shoot digital. And now there's still a lot of directors who want to shoot film. Chris Nolan, Tarantino, that's great. But what they told me, I said, why do you guys like, as cinematographers shooting digitally? He said, well, you know, Pete, you know, I, I can never go to sleep at night, you know, and I, I didn't know it, if the film was developed properly or not. I'd have to wake up in the morning and call the lab. And now I know it instantly. It's done. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I remember asking, because Steve Carell really liked shooting digitally. And I said, why? What do you sense as an actor? What difference does it make to you? He goes, I remember hearing the film running through the mag and I felt pressure, like we're spending money if I don't get my scene funny or right. But digital, I don't hear it. And I hear it's cheap. Tape's cheap. That's so it calms crazy. me down. I'm like, wow, I never thought of that. That's crazy. So two different perspectives. So I'm sorry, I helped fuck up the business, but it is the way of the future. It is the future. What are you yeah. going to do? Yeah. No, everything's evolving. I mean, everything has evolved so much. Yeah. And the way you color time a picture, which a lot of people don't even know what that means. But if you look at old movie posters, you know, um, Lawrence of Arabia, on the poster, it'll say colorist. And he got a credit on the poster. Now, no one even knows what that is. But it's literally changing the colors of a picture. Now, on film, you would add a point of yellow to the entire screen or a point of green or a point of blue. And this would change, you know, the color of your face. If you looked green and we wanted to make you look tan, you know, you change color. Now, digitally, you can colorize certain sections of the screen. It's much more accurate. And it's so... Fantastic. If you watch some of those films, um, Dorothy, The Wizard of Oz, mm -hmm. anything with Yul Brenner. King and I? King and the I. The original Westworld? The original Westworld. You could see that they fucked around. Mm -hmm. You couldn't catch what it was. You were too young. You didn't understand. Mm -hmm. But you knew something wasn't right, especially with Yul Brenner. Yul Brenner always fucked with me. and. <laughs> I don't know why. His face always looked too tan or it wasn't tan enough. So there was something about your brother that always fucked with me. How would the longest yard be different if you would have shot it digitally then? Um, <coughs> would it have gone quicker? Would it? Uh, no. You know what? It's, uh, it's an aesthetic choice. It's, um, it's cheaper, right? Film is expensive. I mean, you used to get when you would shoot a million feet of film, Kodak would come out and give you a bottle of champagne. And that was considered a lot. And on Longest Yard, I got two bottles of champagne. And the studio was pissed because they <laughs> said, you're shooting too much fucking film. Slow down. I'm like, well, I'm shooting football. You know, I have five cameras going. You know, you watch an NFL game on the weekend, there's like 47 cameras that cover a football game. I couldn't do that, but that's what I'm competing against. You know, so we take five cameras, we move them around a couple times, and then it looks like I have 25 cameras. I'm still half of what the NFL is shooting. But shooting on film with that number of cameras, that was uh, very expensive. And they're not making movies, you know, the Sandler days, that being one of them, where movies cost 80 million. No, everything now is 20 or under. Now, no one's going to feel sorry for us, but that was the business. Nutty Professor cost $85 million. They wouldn't spend that today. $85 million. Yeah. 
made 160, but it, uh, you know, they don't green, that's what I'm saying. They don't green light movies in that world anymore. The crazy thing is Netflix still is paying big dollars, you know, for the budgets of the Sandler movies. They're still big over there. I don't quite understand the business model, you know, um, how they make money. I'm sure they do, but, uh, it's just, it's a new era, you know, there's streaming movies. Now Netflix is going to make big Oscar campaigns for their movies. They got a Coen brother movie. Um, there's, uh, an Alfonso Cuaron movie. Last thing he did was gravity. Remember? And he's got a big one coming out. And so I, I guess they put him out in the theater for a weekend. So it qualifies for the Oscars, but then you watch them on Netflix. You know, if you got a nice theater at home, you know, screen and the surround sound, it's like, why not? It, it, was, it was funny when you guys were talking about movie theaters, because my favorite thing about living in L.A., and it's actually been closed for about a year, is going to places like the New Beverly mm-hmm. and seeing old double features for six dollars. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I think is is <coughs> is kind of growing in the movie industry is like people going back. Like, I was just watching. AMC is re- re-releasing um, Smokey and the Bandit because of Burt Reynolds. Yeah. They're, they're going to release it, and I'm sure every screening will be sold out. So it, yeah. that, that's pretty fun. The New Beverly, that's the Tarantino Theater, right? Right, right yeah. yeah. They've been doing that. Right. He well, that played, fun. it was awesome. He played Tommy Boy uh, two years ago when it was its 20, 20th anniversary. And so I went, and they had me do a little speech in front. It was a packed house because I hadn't seen the movie projected since the movie came out. Once, you know, you go to the premiere, that's like the last time you see a movie on a big screen, most of the time. And I said, wait, 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 how did Quentin Tarantino have a, a 35 millimeter print of Tommy Boy? I said, oh, no, he owns one. I said, I don't even own a 35 millimeter print of my own movies, but he does. And he has a vault because they've got to be um, color, you know, sorry, uh, temperature controlled so that the film doesn't melt or decay. And, it, and then I had another screening of Tommy Boy at the USC in the Frank Sinatra Theater. And that print came directly from Paramount. And it was a piece of shit. It had scratches all <laughs> over it and everything. Tarantino's copy of the movie was better than Paramount's. Uh, it was fantastic. So I love that. I love what he's doing. Was that your first big comedy? No, first movie I made uh, when I was 30 was uh, Naked Gun. The final so Naked Gun. you went to USC? Went to USC. How long did you stay in New York City for? New York to uh, zero through eight. Really? Where'd you live? I lived Upper West Side, 441 West End Avenue, then moved when I was five to Mamaroneck. Where did you go to public school? What public school did you go to? Oh, uh, I don't know the name of them, but F.E. Bellows Elementary, if you want to know. No, I lived Mamaroneck. on the Upper West Side. Oh, really? From, it was preschool. I lived on the Upper West Side from 66 to 73. Oh, yeah? I lived on... You know, 88th Street, 205. Oh, my God. We were like neighbors. Yeah, but I went to PS 166. That's why. I oh, I, you know, my uh, my sister went to PS 109, okay. I remember. I don't remember the number of mine. PS but, 166. Um, Stiller was a neighbor of ours, too. Ben Stiller. Right. He's one of those guys up there, too. I lived a block from Zabar's. Okay. One block. Okay. And I, I grew up at the Natural History Museum. My grandparents would babysit me. And just to shut me up, they'll just take him to the museum. He'll stop crying. How many times did you stand in the middle and look at that whale up on top? I literally was just shooting this. And I spent seven months of this past year in New York. And I have so much deja vu of, I've been here when I was a kid. Yes. 
I remember my dad, I, I uh, went to Riverside Park and I cracked my skull open. I was riding my bike down a path and I slammed the brakes on, went right over the handlebars. But right by the memorials? It, it was going down a hill into the park. And uh, I remember my dad was like taking me to the hospital and, and uh, he bumps into Walter Matthau, who's walking Charlie Matthau in a stroller. And he goes, Mort Siegel, how are you? And he goes, I can't talk right now. Son's bleeding. Got to take him to the hospital. But they had worked together. And I, you know, I remember my dad telling me that story. I'm like, that's nice. So I kind of met Walter Matthau. You know, I don't really remember it. My brains were oozing out of my forehead. Right by the Lincoln Memorial. Isn't there a Lincoln Memorial? I don't. Riverside Drive. Yeah. By like 90th, between like 85th and 90th. I could be wrong. There's a memorial there. There might be. And my dad died when I was young, but, but I was baptized Catholic, and my godfather stuck to his word. And on Saturdays, he would pick me up, and we'd, he'd take me to, like, fucking... Uh, at first, he got bored of kid movies. He'd take me to, like, The Love Bug. Oh, yeah. And he took me to The World's Greatest Athlete. Love that. Michael Vincent with Love the, with the arms. And John Amos. And John Amos. But one time, he was like, I don't want to sit through this. <laughs> so he took me to see the Valachi papers. Oh, yeah. And I was hooked. No, yeah. no. The first movie he took me to see was Her Majesty's Secret Service. It's George Lazenby. That was, was the first Bond. No, he came in between. Did he? Yes. I thought he was the first. 69. No, they had already made the ones with... Connery? With, with Connery. No. Oh, is he after? I thought he was before. Yeah, let's check it out. He came in in 69, 68, did one movie, Her Majesty's Secret Service with... Uh, Kojak, Diana Rigg. Mm -hmm. I was in love with fucking Diana Rigg as a young kid. So it was, yeah, there was three. It was he was in between Connery and maybe The Saint. Remember the TV show yeah. The Saint? Yeah, that guy. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's who he only did one movie. Yeah, and Kojak was in it. Whatever the fuck his name is, uh, Telly Savalas. Telly Savalas. So he he played uh, the bad guy in the movie. He was a third. It looks like there's a was, David Niven was did it once. What? I do not remember that. Yes. And George Lazenby in 69, was, yeah. Was 69. George Lazenby. I was six. David Niven was Bond? What was the name of that movie when he played Bond? Who? Uh, David Niven. Casino Royale. What? That is so weird. In 67. <laughs> that is so weird. So, yeah, after Sean Connery, they didn't know for sure. When did the guy from The Saint come on? The Saint. Which one is The Saint? They'll tell you. Who was after George Lazenby? Okay. Um... Roger Moore. Roger Moore well, from The he Saint. Was, he was the one. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. He was the show The Saint. He was the one, though, that I remembered as a kid. As a kid. Moonraker, I think, right. was my favorite. That's That was my favorite, too. Yeah. And by the way, so Jaws, the Richard Keel, who played Jaws in, in Moonraker, but they brought, right. him, they brought him back for another one. Um, he was also in the original Longest, Longest Yard. Longest Yard. Yes, he That's was. That's why I brought back Dalip Singh who was in The Longest Yard as my huge guy in Get Smart. I was completely, that was an homage to Richard Keel in the original and Moonraker. You do a lot of homages from time to time. Homages are better than pilages. You know, you don't want to be stealing stuff, so you'd like to honor it, you know? So, yeah. It, does it feel like kind of like a... Not, I'm not an Easter egg, but almost like a little secret that you have that maybe someone will find out. But it's just yeah. it's just really for you. Yeah. So how long was Peter Moore? Uh, Roger Moore? Roger Moore. From 73 to 85, he did. Jesus. Yeah. Seven of them. And then it, then there was the good looking. Timothy Dalton. 
Yeah, that's right. He did one two. or two. And then Pierce Brosnan, Pierce Brosnan did for 10 years. Yeah. I like Pierce Brosnan. I did too. That's where I grew up. And then Daniel Craig's been doing it since 05. But Daniel Craig is such a great badass Bond. It's a different Bond. And it changed I like with... Him. Yeah. I love him. I like him. I love him. He did, uh, you know, the redo of Casino Royale, you know, written by Paul Haggis. And um, by the way, the recent one, Spectre, the guy I'm now working with, Dave Batista, was the bad dude in that. And oh, this is some great scenes. Uh, the the fight on the train, you know, where you'd never think Daniel Craig could beat the crap out of that guy because that guy is a big man. That's a big dude. That's a big man. What now, you, are they going to replace Daniel Craig or no? He is like I think after the last one, he said, "I'm done. I'd rather have." See, he said something like, "I'd rather have sewing needles poked in my eyes rather than do another one of those." And I think he was just exhausted, and then he came back and said, "Let me finish." What I meant was. And he stayed. Well, I mean, I, that, that's literally what I was just going to bring up. Um, they were the last I heard is that they were consider or the one of the rumors was Idris Elba. Idris, oh yeah, yeah, was going to crazy. And that, I was I was going to get your opinion on it because for me, I mean, I didn't grow up with it, but to have a black James Bond doesn't really. I don't really have a feeling either way. Do you guys? Obviously, I'm not. You're not going to be like, oh, I, I would never let a black guy do it, but. How, do you guys get married to the way things were, and when they do remakes, do you guys get upset if they change things? Or, well, first of all, I think he'd be awesome. Secondly, why not? Um, but third, it was interesting. I I experienced a little bit of backlash on, um, you know, uh, well, Get Smart wasn't a remake; it was an adaptation. But Carell and I, when we did that, we wanted to make it a little more grounded and have the action be a little more masculine and muscular uh, you know, as opposed to just playing the jokes and some fans of the original series said hey it's the original's goofier you guys are you know you got comedy but you got real action in there it's it's not the same tone and i remember chris rock um ironically wanted to play maxwell smart this is before i knew chris or, or knew that he was interested in that but a after the movie came out we had already done longest yard at that point and he called me and said you stuck to that tone. I love it. And that's brave. And I didn't understand what he meant. I said, what do you mean? You know, but then I, you know, heard the fans talking and it's like, yeah, when you mess with a tone of something, you know, sometimes you can, uh, you can get some friction. Ironically, then look at 21 Jump Street. That was a straight up comedy. That's not what the original TV series was. People loved it. So it's interesting, you know, when you can rub people the wrong way by just changing, you know, some aspect of the original, uh, just, uh, you know, just a, a hair to the left or a hair to the right. I would never mind happened. seeing Ebus, whatever his name is, Abus, whatever his fucking name is. <laughs> Abba. Uh, I think, number one, he's English. I like that accent that he yeah. has, so it would still keep yep. the patois. I, first time I saw The Longest Year, we went to the Super Bowl. Do you remember that? Which longest yard? Ours? The remake. Yeah. Okay, and, and I didn't get flown in by Sony. Telemundo flew me in mm -hmm. because Adam kept pushing me to the Latino market. So Telemundo put me in there, and they put me in a condo in between Nelly and Michael Irvin. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember that we, I think Bert was there. You were there. We, did you go to Super Bowl? I did not. It was a couple guys there, and I was like the odd man out because I wasn't there with the crew. I was there with Telemundo. 
And they did like a, a screening of the fucking trailer. And I gotta be honest with you, I went back to the room and I cried. When I saw Adam put his finger in his mouth and put his thing in the guy's ear, I nearly cried. Like I was like, I was never so embarrassed in my life. I go, you just ruined this tough guy movie with this fucking shit, fucking finger in the ear. I was pissed for about three days. Then I went to the second screening at Paramount and then I started falling in love with it. I saw what had been done and then I remembered that we're artists. We, I don't want to see the same movie. Mm -hmm. If you do a remake, I don't want to see the same movie. But I do want you to keep it in the same vein. Mm -hmm. That's all I ask you. Yep. Keep it in the same vein. The Death Wish they did with Bruce Willis, you disrespected Charles Bronson. You disrespected me when you did that. When you did the mechanic with that guy, I love that guy. But he ain't no mechanic. You fucked it up. The mechanic was a guy that killed with precision. He didn't kill you with a bullet. He killed you by faking stuff. He did different things to you to kill you. So on the on the death certificate, it didn't come up like you died from that. And everybody got healthy. This guy's blowing up fucking buildings. That's not the fucking mechanic. Mm -hmm. That's not an illustration of me with the mechanic. I want to see the 2018 mechanic. This guy's got electronics. Charles Bronson, you know how the mechanic opens up? No, not his. It's, 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 a, it's a fucking... 30 minute no line Mr. S not one fucking line hmm. and it's Charles Bronson in downtown LA walks into a hotel checks in Mosley goes into his room sets up a telescope watches this guy this guy gets up leaves for the day and Charles Bronson goes back in and you see Charles Bronson stuffing his tea bags getting one of his favorite books, sticking glue balls in books. And the guy comes back, and sure enough, he puts the fucking tea on, and it was sleeping pills in the tea, and the guy lays down, and Charles Bronson takes the rifle. This is after 20 minutes. There's not one fucking line. The director's sucking you the fuck in. And all of a sudden, they show Charles Bronson points at the book in the thing, and he shoots a bullet at the book, and the building blows up. And the next day, there was a fire, and the guy dies. Nobody knows. That's how articulate he was. Hmm. He found out another guy had a heart condition. So he took him golfing, and he had somebody shoot at him. So when the guy ran, he died of a heart attack. When they did the remake, they didn't use that. They just showed me a guy that what would do in 2018, blow people up. That's not the mechanic. Hmm. So I appreciate a lot of things from remakes, and there's a lot of things from remakes that go a little bit too old. I like Get Smart. I loved, I grew up on Agent 99. I wanted to fuck her too. <laughs> when I came from Cuba, I wanted to fuck her, Diana Rigg, and Mary Tyler Moore. They were all going to get <laughs> dick when I got older. You know what I'm saying? That's a nice sandwich. That's how I learned how to speak English, by watching Dick Van Dyke, yep. by watching all those shows. So I felt uh, Diana Rigg was on a show when I was a kid that was a brilliant English show. And even though I didn't like English accents then, it was tougher for me to understand an English accent. Diana Rigg was on a show that was on Channel 9 in New York City. Channel 9 is also known for having the Mets and... The Avengers? The Avengers. See, she came. They did a remake of that. Yeah. The Avengers was her and a little English dude. Right. And she would do a bunch of crazy shit. It's not Captain America, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's not, no, the, it's not, not superheroes. It's fucking America, all right? It's fucking <laughs> the Avengers. <laughs> that's but that's weird how you said that they're not... When I did Spider-Man 2... Like, listen, let's be honest. 
Longest Yard in Santa Fe was as good as it gets in my world. The Smoothie Girls, the Umbrella oh, Girls, my God. the people fucking with Gabagool. <laughs> they had a lady who came up to you with a tray of Coke cuts. Do you understand me? By the way, do you know why? Why? We were... So we get there for training camp. And that's like the closest I got to playing Tom Landry, right? I'm walking around with my playbook. And all you guys are on the field training, right? In full pads. And I'm, you know, I, I didn't have to play director that day, you know, because uh, Mark Ellis is running the football. You know, we designed the plays together. But now he's getting everyone in shape. You got, um, you know, uh, 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 Bill Romanowski who's acting like he's still playing. And he's like, to the some actor who jogs by him, goes, hey, whose jersey was untucked, tuck that shit in. And he was taking it seriously. And, you know, I, it was, it was unbelievable. But one day, it was actually that same afternoon, clouds in the sky looked like a storm was rolling in, and Sandler was pissed. He said, it's Bernardi, our producer. He calls Michael, him over. Michael. No, uh, uh, no, uh, uh, Barry. Barry Bernardi. And uh, he says, uh, <gasps> what do you not see out on that field? He goes, I don't know. What do you see? Bunch of guys in football uniforms. Right. No girls. I want water girls. I want water girls. I want girls bringing around cold cuts. I want, I want these guys to be happy. And Barry looked at me like, what the fuck? And I'm like, <laughs> it's not a bad idea. You know, because he said, we're going to be however many guys we were, you know, you know it was, it was large cast in a desert, in a prison. Let's not have it feel like a desert prison. Let's have a little bit of, you know, femininity. And so that's that's why uh, we were served, you know, water. Uh, smoothies, smoothies, protein shakes, yeah. and little cups, <laughs> and then yeah. Dixie cups, protein shakes, and you would just sit there and drink like 10 of them like you were yeah. embarrassed. But the girl that came around with the cold cuts, it was something from another world. Like, you know those cigarette girls? <laughs> yeah, 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 with like the that? little tray. Like yeah. tray. And she didn't just have ham and cheese and some fucking cheddar cheese. No, 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 no. They had everything. Prosciutto, yeah. fucking ham, oh, yeah. gabagool. Yeah. And yeah. the rolls to make everything. sandwiches? Everything. You, oh, no, no, you, you put it, it in your yeah. hand and ate it without the fucking know. animal it's style. Like keto, like, I don't know. Fuck no. <laughs> they were rolls. Yeah. And there was, it was like they kept coming at you. It was like being at uh, Fogo de Chao and putting the green light. Like if in between takes. <coughs> but the weirdest me. thing, though, is, so there's that. <coughs> you're, you're eating luxurious snacks, luxurious. right? In a prison that had the worst riot in U.S. history. So, I'm scouting this place, and I go into one of the cells. And I got two guys from the film commission with me. One was a Native American, long ponytail, and then his sidekick. And uh, I'm in a prison a cell, and I'm looking out the window at the beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico desert. And I said, you know, this is not a bad prison. I mean, if I was going to commit a crime, it's not a bad cell. And they look at each other like they'd just seen a ghost. And I went, huh, what was that? I come back to L.A. and I'm interviewing people to be on the crew. The one guy comes in and he's kind of ashen, white. He goes, you know where you're shooting, don't you? And I said, no. And, and he hands me a book. And it's called The Devil's Butcher Block. <laughs> the story of the riot at that prison. And I, and I started to read it. And it was uh, uh, 38 
people were killed and they were somebody got into the key room and from the key room they went into the tool shed and got the tools and then went into cell block c which was where the snitches were they pull them all out and they chopped them up bowled down the hallways with their heads stacked the body parts in the gym set it on fire so when i go there ichabod crane as i used to call him he was this caretaker of that wing of the prison liked to give tours did you get a tour no no <laughs> he loved giving he fucking loved tours i walked halfway would... with him and yeah. he told me that the floor wouldn't stay the color that the, it was correct he said the blood stains kept coming back he, the they tried to bleach up. them away and the blood would come back and I, i'm no. a santa Rita no. guy I can't be so he starts he shit. shows the chop marks in the floor where they chopped heads off with shovels that the chips from the shovels are still there and after a while the players started getting so fucking freaked out i got pissed i said you gotta board up cell block c and no more ichabod crane ghost tours this has got to stop because it's we're doing a comedy you know everyone's <laughs> getting fucking freaked out and so we're eating prosciutto and i remember my kids you know are playing catch you know on the field and it's sort of like you're going around gettysburg you feel it it's like palpable you felt like people died here and uh i literally hyperventilated the next time i went back to the prison as i was going through the gate because like it's next to a, an actual, actual supermat supermax yeah and so this was abandoned and what now homeland security would use it to like train so you go down into the lower level where the chop marks are and you're walking through and the lights are out and you go to the gas chamber or the electric chair right and in and out certain uh, hallways because of homeland security they have dummies for like targets to shoot and so you're walking along and suddenly a dummy and you fucking freak out like jesus and it's a dummy and uh i remember i don't know if you remember this jack g um adam's producing partner dared his uh, assistant for a thousand bucks thousand bucks spend the night in the electric chair room with the lights out with all that shit that i just said dummies chop marks blood that won't erase i'll give you a thousand bucks i got so pissed i said do not take that bet I'm going to freak out just thinking about you down there. Don't do it. He did it. He spent the night. Spent the night. I don't think it was haunted. I remember Ichabod, oh, somebody scared me There was enough bad bit. juju. It didn't need to be haunted. When we did the, the, the prison shots, I had to go into the building. They told me, come over here, go into the building and take prison shots. And the day I was taking the prison shots, that's when the guy went off on me. I don't know if it was Ichabod Crane. Whoever was standing in there. Oh, he gave you the tour. Wanted to give you the he, tour. He started telling me that they had taken the heads yeah. and they had putting them on sticks. Yeah. Like after they were bowling with the heads and shit like that. And when the cops came in, when the cops seized the prison, the lights were shut off. And they noticed that there was a lot of water. It was like those 12 kids in Thailand. They were walking with a lot of water. <laughs> and when they turned the lights on, it wasn't water. It was blood. Oh, shit. It was rivers and puddles of blood that were running. Like, that's how much blood there was. to read this book. Oh, my God. You don't want to read No, no, no. It's going to gonna gonna freak you out. It's going to freak you out. But that's where we... People don't realize that. That's where we did this so comedy. The, so the first day that we shot... Adam brought an Indian in. Oh, my God. I remember that. I think that. he brought a rabbi in. I think he brought every <laughs> night. I, know how he I think a rabbi a... came in with a small 50. But do you remember what he did? He pissed him off, too. Because the guy had, uh, he burned uh, some incense, a, uh, some herb. Right. And he was blessing. And, uh, and then Sandler said right afterwards, hey, uh, can I smoke some of that now? 
and the the guy looked at him <laughs> like if there could have been a clap of thunder i went holy shit i hope you just didn't jinx us but uh he had to crack a joke you know it's 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 like i got to i was very lucky in the beginning you know there wasn't no hundred dollar a day movies you know when i moved here there wasn't no 435 it was all scale plus 10 and you went from there you know and i still remember going to a commercial shoot in 1990 from 97 to 2000 if you went to a commercial shoot when you signed in it would say the product briar's ice cream and it would say uh you know some salesman whatever the roles and then it would go it shoots september 15th through the 18th when you got the call guess what you worked all three days for two days you sat there and watched other people shoot their commercials Briars wasn't really shooting one commercial, they were shooting three, one a day. They would hire you, and you sat there for two days. They paid you scale plus 10, and they knew it. Just in case something happened, they wanted to shoot that commercial again, or they wanted to catch something. If you got a movie in those days, I always got overtime. I still got the ticket stubs. Like, my first couple TV shows, you would sit there in their overtime. That all disappeared. Like, in Spider-Man 2... You know, they were eating lobster tails on the Sony line on Fridays. You do know that. <laughs> so when you see a movie that says $160 million, you have to consider that, how much of that is waste. Like, mm-hmm. they had, this was 2003 when I shot Spider-Man 2, pomegranate juice. Remember, it was at $5 a bottle. They would have half gallons out, and I would just take a gallon and bring it to my room. I didn't <laughs> fucking know. <laughs> You know how much those half gallons are? And then you shoot a $100 a day movie. And there's no wardrobe chick that picks the lint off your shirt. <laughs> there's nobody that fixes your hat. What you look like is what you yeah. look like, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you look like is what you look like. Then you do the longest yard where they actually had to tattoo you in the morning. Remember, yeah. our oh, call yeah, time yeah. was 445. Yeah. yeah. 445. And those animals, who I just did his podcast, Steve... Austin. Oh, yeah? Those animals were out till one or two, four nights a week. Yeah. I don't know how they would, they would, they would close that hotel bar down, that little yeah. dingy, had three seats. Yeah. No one tells the director these things. They didn't want to freak me out. So I never heard any of this. I thought oh. you guys were like all tucked in bed by nine. No. <laughs> Those guys would go to Albuquerque. There was really no action in Santa Fe. No. A lot of art galleries. A lot of art galleries. There was one strip club. It wasn't. I went in there and tried to do comedy one night. And they threw me out. I was like, I just want to do comedy. Nobody just, not, there's not one open motherfucking mic in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Yeah. But they had a Dunkin' Donuts. We had cars, and we could drive up that little strip of land, like, yeah. towards Las Cruces. I went to Albuquerque one time, and I, I realized they shot cops there, and then I went back again. All those guys would go to Albuquerque for the weekends. I was like, fuck you. I would stay up there with uh, the Seattle Seahawk would always stay. Mm-hmm. He never went back. Brian Bosworth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, a couple guys would stay the weekend. I remember one time, I, was, I can't remember the name of the hotel in Santa Fe I was staying, as the middle of the shoot, and they told me they said, "Um, this Saturday you need to move out of your room." Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Arnold, you, could, you need. Then you can move back in Sunday. I'm like, "You're really going to kick me out of my?" Well, we have a VIP who's coming, and this is his favorite room. So I said, uh, uh, "Really? Okay." And I moved out for one night, and then on the set one day, 
someone says, uh, Pete, um, the governor wants to uh, talk to you. I'm like, what? And so they hand me a phone. Peter, I just want to tell you thank you very much for letting me stay in the room. It's just a personal convenience for me. And he just was thanking me. I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> and you know who else they asked to leave? Who? Nelly. Really? Because he was smoking pot in the hotel. Oh. And they didn't want uh, okay. uh, Arnold to smoke. And so they asked oh. Nelly to leave for two or three days. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, for sports. Wasn't he, clo- oh. he was probably close to you. You didn't I, know. I didn't know. Nelly was in your wing. There was a certain wing that they closed off for oh. Arnold that week. Cell block C wing. Yeah, cell block <laughs> C wing and stuff like that. Wow. Interesting. You know, I always wanted to ask you, when you... I mean, I love Tommy Boy. You know, I miss Chris Farley. It's so weird that I think about the last time I saw Chris Farley, and it was one of the saddest things I ever saw in Hollywood. But I had gone through what he was going through. My girlfriend was a stripper on La Cienega, and I had just left the comedy store. This was two weeks before he died. This is 98, right? When did he die? Mm-hmm. I think. 98, Yeah, December 18th. Or 98. This had to be two weeks, three weeks before he died. At that strip club, there's no contact allowed. They dance naked. Mm -hmm. You can't touch them. There's no lap dances. What you could do is hire them to dance nude, but they have to stand five feet from you, and there's a rope. I I, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I don't want to do that. That seems just stupid. I can't grab you. I can't fucking Harvey you, you know what I'm saying, for the small five dollars. But it was so funny how my girlfriend at the time said, Park the car. You got to see this. And I go, okay. And I, I didn't know what she was going to show me. And it was Chris Farley sweating profusely. Yeah. He was sweating so much that his hair was back. He had like a shirt on, and he was just rolling up fifties and twenties and getting yeah. a lap dance and just throwing them at him. And I remember looking at him. Come on, everything in my heart wanted to go up and give that guy a hug. I'm a comic. You know what I'm saying? Like everything. And you ever hear that expression, don't talk to the celebrities you look up to because you might be disappointed? Like I remember going in that car and being fucking really sad Mm. that I saw one. I was a little chubby at the time, so I looked up to him, Belushi, you know. Mm -hmm. And that was the last time I saw him. Two weeks after that, he was probably gone. Like two or three weeks, and I was like, that's fucked up that I saw him that night acting that way at a strip club giggling by himself he was totally by himself it was my soul with him well i sort of straddled two sides of his personality because i started working with him in television he was in an hbo special i did with uh tom arnold and ben stiller and uh jim carrey were in it and uh i remember him showing me i was shooting with chris farley we went to the glendale galleria and we were just following around with a camera as he was picking up on girls it was pee in your pants hilarious he would like walk up to a girl and say can't can't and with holding an orange and say hi can, can you do you have fingernails can you start my orange for me i i can't peel it and then he'd just start flirting with it. hilarious stuff right after that he um so that was uh, for hbo then we did the jackie thomas show and he played tom's brother and right after that episode um I read I for you then. What year was in Jackie Thomas? 97? No, 91. No, no, I wasn't here. Different, I, I yeah. read for a different Thomas show. Well, they put him straight in a limo and took him to rehab. So when I was working with him, he was still, you know, high and abusing stuff. Um, Tommy Boy, he was clean. 
And uh, ironically, I'm shooting this, prepping this movie in Toronto. I haven't been to Toronto since I shot Tommy Boy 24 years ago. He was clean there and he always went to his priest at night and that was his AA. And, uh, you know, right after Tommy Boy, he, um, there were a lot of things offered to Chris because he kind of blew up. And uh, the things that were offered to him, I thought were terrible. And he kept saying, well, do this with me, Pete, do this. And I said, it's terrible, it's terrible. And I said, no, no, and he got really upset with me. He thought I didn't like him anymore. And he was mad at me and I had to write him a, like a seven page letter, tell him how much I, it was absolutely wrong. I adored him. I just wanted the best for him. I thought he could get nominated for an Oscar one day if he chose properly. But don't cash in on this crap you're being offered right now. Wait, you know, choose. And um, he forgave me. It was soon thereafter that he passed. And we never got to work together again. And I always felt sad about that. Um, you know, but going back to Toronto lately, it's like all these memories are flooding back. I literally stood at the Gooderman Wurtz Distillery last week, which was Callahan Auto. And they built an apartment building where the front gate was. So I was a little disoriented. I said, I remember we entered somewhere and it's not here anymore. And then finally I stood in the middle of the courtyard where he sat thinking about, you know, his father who passed away. And I went, holy shit, I know exactly where I am. Oh my God. And I almost got emotional because I was like, I'm standing where Chris sat and I could barely recognize it. But the buildings are historical landmarks. So they didn't touch the actual buildings, but they just put so many condos around it. It was hard to recognize. But uh, no, he, you know, I talked to Spade every now and then. And uh, Fred Wolf and I are, you know, who wrote the movie are still good friends. Fred's still around. Fred's yeah. still around, yeah. I see the one brother around, the yep. one Farley brother. John, I see around. Kevin. The, the, I, I, I know both of them. Yeah. One lived down the corner from me on Gardner. Mm -hmm. And the other one I knew from auditions and whatnot. And yep. doing stand up with David. He's mm -hmm. always around with Spade. So They're great guys. Think, yeah. I think he hangs out with, so he opens for Spade. One mm -hmm. of them opens for Spade. That's the one I see. They're great guys. Yep. I remember when I was a kid, I loved fucking Blue Bob. Blues Brothers was on last oh, week yeah. one night, and yeah. I just sat there and laughed my ass off. Yeah. And I was thinking about how I used to eat Quaaludes in like 1980, and there was a pizza parlor in my neighborhood, and the guy was as racist as fuck. He was Greek. His name was Nick Nick's Pizza. And he would just tell you what was on his mind. He was, and he had the accent like "fuck you." And I remember going in there one night, going, "Nick, let me get a fucking Sicilian." He was like, "Fuck you, you fucking speak." And I took the red crushed pepper and I threw it at him or some shit. And he's like, "Get out! Look at the shape!" I went, "Oh, I know what happened. I puked, and I puked on my shirt." And I went in there, all quailuded out. And he's like, "Look at you." You look like Balushi. <laughs> so ever since that, he would always call me fucking Balushi. Get the fuck. <laughs> fucking Balushi. He was, he would today get arrested for his impolitically correctness. <laughs> There's a kid in my neighborhood that now is an assemblyman. He's a big deal. But his family always owned a funeral parlor. They were always very successful. When he was a kid, he would get a slice of Nick's, but he would cross the street to Hashways because the iced tea was a nickel cheaper. And Nick would be talking to me and go, where's fucking Bonini? And we go, well, he went to Hashways because the iced tea is cheaper across the street. Now this is Ventura Boulevard. Cars everywhere. Nick would walk out to the middle of the street and go, Bonini, you fucking Jew, you sock. <laughs> 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 I 
<laughs> but that, I, like I always loved Candy. Oh yeah. I always loved all those big guys. You yep. know, till this day I adore Jim Candy. Yeah. When Tommy Boy's on, I watch all that shit. All those late night Saturday Night Lives with Chris Farley. The Chicago shit makes me fucking laugh oh, yeah. my ass off. Yeah. <clears throat> it's so weird that, like, I have the opportunity now. Like, I'm still fucking kicking at 55, and those guys are gone. And there was one time when I was just as crazy as those guys. And it's so fucking sad to me. Like, I, mm -hmm. there's every three days I sit there and go, what made me quit that shit? Mm -hmm. And quit it for good. Like, it never came into a thought. There was never a relapse. Like, once I said enough, that was it. You oh, know? You're lucky. I'm very fucking lucky. Yeah. And you look gorgeous. You dropped a lot of weight since yeah, I saw you. Yeah, 55 with a five-year-old. Nice. You know, you got to... Uh, you really... You hear the expression for years, and you nod your head at your friends, and you say yeah, and you give them some bullshit story. But there comes a day you really, really have to look after yourself. It's like being a good friend to yourself. You know, mm -hmm. you go home at night, and you really want to eat that Haagen-Dazs, but you eat two apples instead, and you get a Jello pudding that's got three points. You know, you really want the fucking Haagen-Dazs. And then in the morning, you yell at your wife for getting the fucking Haagen-Dazs. <laughs> yeah, throw it away, that's why I do fucked. the shopping. Do you? I, yeah, because I don't buy the shit that I know after a glass of wine that I'm going to eat. You look great. Well, thank you. Now, now, for a guy that works on films, because people have no idea what a director's day is like and what's in front of them. Yeah. What's in front of you? You have no idea. Like, you don't know the call for the day. Yeah. yeah. Every once in a while, you could come up to the first AD and say, bring me a salad from Chipotle. Yeah. But besides that, you're so consumed with the film. If you're really consumed with the film, you're not even thinking. You just uh. want to hit the lunch break and then... See, I lose, great. I lose weight making movies because there's so much stress, right? So I had an assistant once um, when, at, when lunch would come up, you know, and they hand around, you know, the menu. Here's what's today. I said, dude, I make 10,000 decisions a day. Have this decision be yours. You know the three things I eat, chicken, whatever, and chicken. So just get me whatever. You know, I don't want to look at a menu. So... We, we go, and, and when they, they turn the lights out in the dailies trailer, you know, we, there's an 18-wheeler, and it's got pop-outs, and that's where we look at the footage from the day before. The food gets delivered, and as soon as it gets delivered, you know, they turn out the lights. And then your plate is lit by the screen, you know, that you're watching. Every time I'd look down, I'd hear a laugh, and I missed it. And so I said, fuck, I can't cut with a knife and fork. So whatever you get me, his name was Skippy. Um, whatever you get me, Skippy, I got to pick it up with my hands like an animal. I'm just going to like a caveman in my cave and I just pick it up. Whatever it was chicken breast. Great. Cause I can hold it after a while. I guess I got picky about what I was eating and the lights would turn on and Dean Summer would look at me and he goes, mate, what's, what's wrong with your face? I said, what do you mean? He said, you got red all around your mouth. And I like a terrible Australian accent, by the way, but, uh, I looked down at my plate and I'm eating coleslaw and strawberries with my hand. I go, how long have I been eating this shit? He goes, well, I didn't want to bug you anymore because you got picky about your food, so you, you hadn't said anything in a couple of weeks. <laughs> so I've been eating coleslaw and strawberries with my hands. You know, so that, you know, I fucked myself on that one. How is the stress on those films? <laughs> it's, uh, <clears throat> I remember my first movie, you know, back in, we were shooting in 93, Naked Gun. I'd gone from making, you know, 
television to a $35 million budget. I remember my mother telling me, man, your balls are really on the line. I went, thanks, Mom. That's so comforting. <laughs> Thank you. And then, you know, when the, the numbers, you know, first Sandler movie I did, you know, Anger Management with Jack Nicholson, was like $75 million. They don't make those, like I was saying before, they don't make those anymore. But So it's not just that I worked with Adam Sandler for the first time, although I'd known Adam through Farley and Spade and the other guys. We'd bump into each other. So I'm working with him, who was at the height of his career, very powerful. Jack Nicholson doesn't get any bigger. And then everybody wanted to be in that movie. Woody Harrelson, John Turturro, etc. cetera. And um, you can't, my brother asked me. My brother was left, he was the editor-in-chief of Los Angeles Magazine, just left and now he's heading the news for NASA JPL. God bless him. And he said to me, um, don't you ever get nervous? I said, I literally don't have time to get nervous when I'm on the set. It's like business. And so that's how I'd lose weight. It'd just be so focused on what you have to do. And I'm, you know, very responsible, you know, so I don't want to go over. I'm a good Jew that way. Bad Jew religiously. Recreational Jew. So, um, but I, uh, I, I, I don't want to go over ever. So I don't. But that's another pressure. You know, to keep that, hey, you remember Santa Fe, keep that juggernaut going when not only do you deal with football and, and prison and ghosts and all this, but every day at three in the afternoon, we'd have a fucking tornado. You know, we were shooting during a monsoon season. And Nelly had to go on tour on Friday. So yeah. he had to shoot everything until Wednesday morning. Yeah. And he had to leave tour. I mean, it was, there were days that, I don't know. I, I When I looked at you, you didn't look stressed during the longest shot, but I knew it was hard on everybody. It took a genius to figure out that there was too many people. No, there was, it was, it was crazy. Was, that was too No, many no, it, it was crazy. Look, if I have a, a superpower at all, it's I look calmer on the outside than I am on the inside. That was your, I knew it was a lot of stress on you. I knew there was days that you were directing the movie and I wouldn't even look at you like that. It was just, there was no time. Yeah. There was no it's time crazy. to go, Pete, what do you want from me in this? You know, you got you to pee it and you got a thing, and you're like, yeah. just do what you did. Yeah. You know, I still remember going up to Adam in Redondo Beach, and it was the day that Nelly released his two albums that we, he took us to the party. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. It was like September, because we went to Santa Fe like July and August, and we came back and had a week off, and then we went down to work. And I'll never forget the day. Like, once we got up here, the game changed a little bit. There was no more Umbrella Girls. Right. You mean back to uh, <coughs> California? Back to California. Yeah, yeah, Paramount yeah. started lingering a little bit. Yeah. It was really funny that one day we're doing the locker scene and I'm sitting there, I'm 395 pounds. And I'm like, damn, one of my favorite sports movies. Again, we all homage is one of my favorite sports movies is Major League. Mm -hmm. I think they did a great job with Major mm -hmm. League. And mm -hmm. the Cuban in Major League is now a fucking huge star. He does all-state commercials. Mm -hmm. right. But there was one scene when the owner comes up to him, and he's got a jock on, and she smacks him in the ass, and he's Cuban. And I go, you know what? What if I fucking wore a jock? And I'll never forget that Adam was talking to two guys from Paramount. And you guys were making wardrobe decisions. And I go, I got to put this fucking jock on. So that was your idea? Oh, yeah. 
So you're the guy that says I was sickened by him doing a wet willy to him, and then you come out in a jog strap, and that's okay. Because this is a real football scene. We're real prisoners. Let's let me explain something to you. I saw the longest yard. I saw the longest yard at the Union City Cinema the weekend it came out, and there was two movies I had gotten. Like we went to everything in those days. That was that came out in '73, right? Mm-hmm. The original mm-hmm. Longest Yard. Yeah, '73. Look at what came out in 73. I mean, you were up against... No, that was 76. 73 was Deliverance, I think. Deliverance? Yeah, I had... Because I had, there was only two movies, and I went to see everything at the cinema, from Charles Bronson... 74 came out. Yeah, 74. So I was 11, and they would let you in. The cinema didn't give a fuck if you were 10, 4, whatever. When they gave, they had that movie about the devil, The Exorcist, Exorcist came... Exorcist, yeah. No, The Exorcist came out... And then sometime somebody tried to be even more gross, and they came out with this other horror movie towards '74 where they gave you puke bags on the way in, but you had to be eight, under 18. You had to come with your mother. They didn't give a fuck. They just gave you a puke bag, <laughs> the devil's lair or whatever. But one thing I remember about the longest short. First of all, my mother had the bar, so there was a lot of shady characters that hung there. And I went to this Union City Cinema, and I could look in the IP when I saw the longest yard. When it ended, the movie theater was on their feet, yelling, Mean Machine. Like, this is 1974. The other movie that we were on our feet for was Rocky. Mm-hmm. That movie theater, 300 people, you're standing on your seats. The people that got, what do you call those theater attendants? Mm-hmm. They kept telling us to sit down. Fuck ushers? you. Yeah, the ushers were like, Fuck you. Mean Machine, Mean Machine. So when I thought of the Mean Machine, I thought we were going to be a a bunch of fucking badasses. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I just didn't know he was going to be more of a comedic. That's what mm-hmm. I'm trying to yeah. say. Yeah. So, no, that was Jesus. my idea. I went up to him and said, dog, let me put a jock on. And <laughs> one of the guys <laughs> said no. And the other guy didn't like me, not Barry Bernardi, but the other guy and me had gone to war over a bet because he couldn't pick a fucking winner. What was his original partner's name, the attorney? Uh, Jack G. Jack G. Couldn't pick a fucking winner if his day depended on him. He couldn't. Bro, the luckiest day he ever had was the day his dog got hit by a car. <laughs> so him and, his, him and his younger brother. Remember his younger yeah, yeah, brother? Yeah, yeah. You know, whenever I play Long Island, his brother shows up. Oh, yeah. He still shows up, the younger brother. So Jack G and me, Jack G was like down. He came to me and he goes, what do you think about this game? So I told him and he lost. And he started getting pissed off at me. So Jack G was there when I went up to Adam. He's like, absolutely not. I wasn't talking to you, bro. <laughs> I was not fucking talking to you. You know, we were at that point in the movie. Yeah. The tempers were flaring a little bit. Yeah. Getting towards you know, the end. That yeah. was that was also the day that somebody threw the shirt at Michael Irvin, and Michael Irvin didn't catch it, and it landed on the floor. This is a very interesting story. And Romanowski stepped on it, and then. Uh, Fucko from the Seattle Seahawks stepped on it. And Michael Irvin looked at both of them and he goes, that's great. Real fucking mature. He goes, it doesn't matter. Because when I played both years in college, all you motherfuckers seen was, and he tied the shirt around like it was a cape, and he ran past him. He goes, this is all you guys ever saw of me anyway. It was me doing this. Like running, and oh we God. fucking, like Romanowski and the other guy had nowhere to go. Oh, like that's tempers hilarious. were already starting that's to hilarious. flare. Yeah. Romanowski had uh, called out the fighter. Not the big guy. Not Bob Sapp. Not Bob Sapp. Maury Smith. 
That was almost a fight in the fucking poor section one day that the staff didn't find out about. No, Bill... Uh, we were on our side, and we had the wrestlers across from us, yeah. and it was me, Nick, Bill Goldberg, yeah. and Romanowski was somewhere with his Hawaiian wife. And one day, fucking, he just went up to Marv or whatever and said some weird stuff to him. And Ivan Salivary had to come out, yeah. and Bob Sapp had to come out, and one of the wrestlers stood in the middle, and that was the end of that. That was, was a lot of testosterone. A lot of <laughs> testosterone on that fucking set. But you know what is interesting? I just remembered... You know, especially since Burt Reynolds just passed. Um, you remember the day Burt had an idea. He said, I just want to do some stuff. It was like we had finished the day. He says, can I, can I have some of the players over here? I just have some ideas. And that scene where uh, he pulls you by your helmet down to the ground. Oh remember, God. there was no script for that. Oh he just, he, and I thought, uh, I have no idea what he's doing. He just wants to, he said, I, I got some ideas. I just want to do some coaching stuff. So he brought you and a few other players and Dalip Singh. Dalip Singh, I remember specifically. And, and I just thought to myself, what is going on here? But let's try it, you know? If I you no look idea. at that scene, it's about to rain. Yeah, of course. If you always, look at that scene, it's that always scene, about to rain. You couldn't. Whoever was lighting that scene didn't know Bueno that day because it was just, by the time he lit it, it got darker. Yeah. But if you watch those scenes. It was also getting to be nighttime. It was getting to be nighttime. Yeah. So you could see the contrast. But I'll never forget that I didn't know what he wanted to do. Neither, me neither. He, and then he just said, line up and get in a four-point stance. And then he just yanks you by your helmet. He fucking yanked me. <laughs> Almost took your head off. But I couldn't believe how strong he was. Yeah. Like at that moment, I hit the floor. And I remember him putting me up. Come on, big guy, get up. Let's do this scene again. And now I was prepared for the yank. I wasn't prepared for the yank when he first No, That's in the movie. That's in the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was hoping that stayed oh, in the movie. Yeah, I was like, I always. hope they keep that. I hope they keep that. That's Burt Reynolds touching me and shit like that. That's all that matters. I can talk shit from now till doomsday on that shit. Uh, well, I remember also um, Burt was not supposed to do, when he comes into the game, he was not supposed to actually run that play. And it was against Bosworth. And he said, Pete, let me do it. I got it. Don't put my stuntman in. I got to do it. And I thought, we could actually kill Burt Reynolds on this play. I said, Burt, really, the nobody, none of the producers want you to do this. We got to put your stuff. He said, let me do it, kid. Let me do it. So we let him do it. Bosworth tackled him. Kind of went a little easier on him than he would have. Um, and I remember picking Burt up and said, kid, he just added 10 years to my life. Never forget that. He was at tears in his eyes. He, uh, it was really weird last week because I don't get emotional. You know, I'm, I, I, I can't tweet dumb shit. And, but it was so weird how he died and I did some stuff and I was like, wow, that's a shame that he died. He was a good guy. And then I went to the room, the computer, and my daughter came in and there's everything she gives me, I hang up. You know, mm -hmm. she gave me a picture and a patch was on the picture and she wanted to, to take the patch off the picture. So when I took the picture off the wall, there it was. There's a picture of me, Bert, Goldberg, Nick Turtle, and Adam. And he wrote, uh, you know, good, always love your brother, Bert. And I took the picture down. I sat there for five minutes, and I was like, talk, I went to prison. I got left back in the seventh grade. I got a GED. But in all this, I got to spend six weeks with Burt Reynolds 
two trailers down for me. And I would be smoking in the morning's pot. And he'd go, don't you know there's a federal prison right next door? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, he always, so right then and there, like, I got emotional. I go, how fucking lucky am I? I went to see The Longest Yard, all the Smokey and Bandit movies. I went to see all that little whorehouse in Texas. I, went, I, I was a fan. You know, when I met him, there was two people who blew me away at the lunch. It was him and Luther, the guy that was in 48 Hours and, and the little oh, guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Steven. Yeah. Uh, you never, yeah. you ever worked with him again? Have you ever worked with him? No, he was we great actor, though. We kept in touch for a long time. And I would do shows in the city, and he would show up, Peter Siegel. He would show up, and people would go, fucking Luther's here from 48 Hours. People would freak the fuck out when they saw him. Yeah. You know, the guy from, he's from the Warriors, he mm -hmm. told us yeah. he told us how he got that, that when he moved, he was a musician from Detroit, and he moved to uh, New York, and he lived in the Bronx, and he, was, he had long hair, and that. Every night the Italians would play bottles and go, Dirty hair, come out and play, eh? So when he got Warriors, that's where he got that thing with the bottles. I oh. mean, it's fucking crazy the shit huh. you learn and all this stuff. Yeah. What did you learn from Jennifer Lopez? She's a great actress. She really is. Um, blew me away. She is, you know, she kind of went through a little bit what I did in her experience with doing television, you know, where you crank out 10 pages a day. She had to learn, you know, because the old movie business, when you're doing two pages a day, two and a half pages a day, it's luxurious and super slow. You're doing 10 pages a day, you better know your shit. So she was prepared. And when an, when an actor is prepared, you get to play more. You get to try things. And uh, it's a very sweet story. You know, it's, it's very funny, but it's emotional. And um, it's inspirational. It's about, you know second acts in life you know when you think that you're you're done and you you know you talk about it with your podcast yeah. you said you know a little less acting and now you've got a new lease on what you're doing you know and that's what her character goes through in that movie and in a way you know i'd done all these male driven movies this was my second act you know i did something very different you know it's a sort of a chick flick you know the guys like it too but i know who my audience is in this one you know um, but she's great and uh, charming, and I gotta tell you, you know, um, we've almost worked together a few times over the years, but she's never been bigger. She's a freaking brand. No, she's on TV too, right? She's television. She's Vegas. She's movies. She's you know just was the VMA, you know, Video Vanguard, Michael Jackson, yeah, Lifetime Achievement, yeah, yeah. blah that, blah that, blah. That, I remember you retweeted that. Yeah, I and she's. Um, I don't know anyone who works harder i don't know i i don't get it how hard she works she's on the show ray liotta yeah that's finishing that's wrapping up okay. and so i think it might have finished and but she's got world of dance which is huge and like i said she's still doing vegas i just heard a commercial you know for her vegas thing from the tourism board in nevada and uh she's got now the movie thing is kicking back in she's sort of not done that in a while she's got comedy chops she does She's got comedy chops. She does. You know what she was good at? You know what was a bad movie, but she was really good at? The Hector Laveau story. Mm -hmm. The Hector Laveau story was because, if you don't remember right, one of the costume designers on The Longest Yard was her costumer for years. Oh, I didn't know. The blonde. There was the blonde. So the blonde brought in 
the script to Hector Laveau and gave it to me. Mm. She goes, I don't know if you know Jennifer's doing this. If you see something and you want to audition for it, there was really nothing for me to audition for in that movie. Mm -hmm. But she plays a crazy wife, a Puerto Rican wife. And she's fucking funny. Yeah. Like I said, the movie, she was married to Mark Anthony at the time, Mm -hmm. so she shot it with Mark Anthony. Mm -hmm. The movie's not an Academy Award winner, but she did pretty fucking good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She did. She did really good, so. Did you see yourself at USC College doing all the shit you're doing now, 20 years later, 30 years later? When did you graduate from USC? I graduated 84, and um, I wanted to be a pro football player. So I uh, walked on football team at SC as a punter. I was quarterback in high school, but I said, I'm not going to make it as a quarterback, but I could kick. And uh, made the first two cuts and then got uh, cut. Uh, but the coolest thing, ironically, again, relates back to Longest Yard. The guy who beat me out was Sean Salisbury, who became our quarterback coach in the Longest Yard. So I got to tell him, you ended my football career. But thank you, because without you, I may not have gone into what I'm doing now. Because I got an internship at local CBS, and that began my segue into a, a world I never thought I'd get into. I can never forget this either. We're standing there in a circle. Sean Sonsbury comes in saying hellos to everybody. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? I think Romanowski goes, what's that fucking mutt doing here? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, you know, and you know Romo said it so he could hear it. Yeah. He goes, what's that fucking mutt doing here? And when Sean Salisbury was four feet from him, he looked at Romo and Romo go, he goes, what are you here to do? Teach these quarterbacks how to get sacked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Right to his oh, face. Oh, wow. Salisbury's like, you've never changed. I never will. Wow. Get the fuck out of here, you <laughs> mutt. Uh-oh. He was pissed. <laughs> oh, my God. He goes, he goes, what are you here to do? I'm here to help out the quarterback. Teach him how to get sacked? What the fuck did you ever do? Get out of here. <laughs> oh, my God. I never heard that story. No, there was. Oh, that's a good one. He pulled a couple good shit on that. Oh. You know, like I said I was a virgin. I had done like 10 movies where I was three days or less. I think the longest day I had, the longest stint I had was a a movie with Rodney Dangerfield that there wasn't no character. He liked me so much, he just told me when to come in. Yeah, yeah, we'll find something for you tomorrow, kid. Just come in. I'd have to knock on his door and he'd have a robe on. His dick was out, his balls were out. He didn't give a fuck. He's rolling a joint. It's blowing up everywhere. Should I come in tomorrow? Jojo, come in. What do you? So I had never been. In this fucking seventeen week, yeah, we shot so much garbage at the end. Oh yeah, that I was sitting there going, "Why are we still here?" <laughs> Do you remember the night? Like everybody was wrapped. It was me and Lobo, and we shot a scene of me tattooing Lobo's back. Oh yeah, I do. And it was <laughs> she wanted Joy Behar, but I put like uh, Roseanne Barr on his back. And yeah. He got pissed off oh my at god, me. We I never, can't even remember that. We never kept. That was the night. I mean, there had to be eight of us. I mean, we were shooting like six scenes, and fucking Adam got a chocolate fountain. What? Doug, you think I'm kidding? You had Sony. He got a fountain that was made out of chocolate with chocolate fudge with fondue. All he did was, I stood there for two hours just just fucking fondueing. Are you kidding me? We, we did that scene, never made it. 
one scene that was just horrible. We could not get to work. That was the one of the best scenes in the movie is when they're in the infirmary. In the original, it's one of the best scenes in the movie. They're throwing toilet paper at each other, and they're cheering. They just won. The guys are all hurt in the infirmary. We shot that. That never made it. It was god-awful. I don't even remember that. Me, It was like me and two other guys, but I didn't have nobody to work off of. You didn't give me somebody comedically. So you gave me two wrestlers and a guy from the Giants. <laughs> I couldn't do nothing with him. Remember the guy that won the championship with the Giants? He was number 55 for the Giants. He was a white dude. Yeah. He was in that movie. He was like a friend of Adams and shit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You had him in the yeah. infirmary, all the guards, that Steve Austin who got his dick knocked out, and somebody else who got oh knocked God. out. I was the only guy that got knocked out by Romo, Yeah. so I was in the infirmary. We shot the infirmary scene, which I was excited as fuck for. Yeah. I'm like, this is a great scene. I'm throwing toilet paper at them. I'm telling them to go fuck themselves. We just, yeah, well, it was horrifically bad. <laughs> well, see, you're a comic. At least you know when it's bad. You know, and you're not comedic. You, oh, I knew that think, one. I'm killing. When I walked no. out of that scene, I go, they're not going to have that. Yeah, 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 that was just that bad. That yeah. was just that yeah. bad. Are you happy you're doing what you're doing? I am. I am. You know what? One thing is, and we're talking so much about the longest yard, but there's. Nothing closer that I can imagine to actually being a performer than when I go into a theater and watch one of my movies that is rocking. And I remember our final test screening in Las Vegas for Longest Yard. We got a 94. My heart was going to come out of my chest because like when, uh, you know, Nelly's streaking for the touchdown and, and Chris Berman's going, hey, good, go. The whole crowd goes, oh, oh wait. When you're talking about the original Longest Yard and that the crowd stood, the crowd was cheering this movie during the game like it was an actual game. And I thought my if you took my pulse, it'd be like 150 beats per minute. It was one of the coolest things ever. Walked out and um, Bosworth said, dude, this movie's going to blow up. I remember calling Chris Rock from my phone saying, I wish you were here tonight in Las Vegas. It was that's the type of thing that makes me love what I do. There's a lot of crap that you got to deal with. It's very, very hard. A lot harder than people think. But when you can have a night like that, you know, it's it makes it all worth it. So one couple last questions. So the when a movie goes over budget, Pete, they blame you? They blame me. Here's the thing. My movies have not gone over budget. I'm, I'm pretty honest about that. Pretty honest. That's weird. I am honest about that. <laughs> but... You know what? James Cameron's little movie called Titanic went way over budget, almost by double. Didn't matter. 11 Academy Awards, one of the biggest hits of all time. I could be on budget and have a bomb. Doesn't matter that I was on budget. It was a bomb. So I'm not, I don't want to sound this way and make studio execs nervous hearing this, but it almost doesn't matter. I've seen people rewarded for one and, you know, shit on for the other you just got to make a good if you movie. go over budget and you win 11 academy awards they suck your dick and call you <laughs> yeah, shorty exactly if you go over budget and you eat a bag of dicks yeah then you're you, fucked you can't go you can't yeah. even get a table and fucking no, the, you the go into dire director's jail it's it's so weird how it's everything is your what off your last movie that's mm -hmm. it yep and in today's economy in today's world it's money yep which the money's not what it used to be nope. you know people aren't going to the movies they got netflix they got mm -hmm. this they got that you're in a tough business, and when I asked you about the stress, it's just because 
I'll tell you what, man. Uh, for three years, I had a hard time with comedy the last three years. And I let the audience get to me. I wanted them to leave having a good experience. I know what you have to go through to come watch me. You have to get a babysitter. You have to get your wife all dolled up. She's got to shave her monkey. You got to <laughs> shave your monkey. There's a lot to go into a comedy show or a movie theater with your wife, especially in today's economy. So if you pay twenty-seven fifty to come see you, I want to be the best I can, so I play it safe. I play it safe. I play it on the budget. I stay to a certain time. I finally realized I got to be myself. Mm -hmm. So I don't give a fuck no more. The audience is going to love me whether they know it or not mm -hmm. just because I stepped out on stage. And that's how I f I don't want to work on a movie set. Like, The Longest Yard was two changes. New Mexico was relaxed as fuck. And then California was, now we got cameras on us. Everybody's watching us. I felt the difference. Mm -hmm. I felt looser mm -hmm. in whatever. And it's, it's, it's a healthier environment. Mm -hmm. So for you to fake the funk and say that you were under stress, you had me fooled because I laughed my ass off. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had my rough days because I was just that out of shape. You know, when you guys were training... They were walking me around the field with an oxygen tank. Mm -hmm. I do remember with that. Two hoses in my nose because I mm -hmm. couldn't even breathe in that elevation. Yeah. So these well, guys were right. doing push-ups. Yeah, I forgot the elevation. The yeah. elevation. The elevation was, I was 400 pounds. So I had an oxygen coach that would just give me oxygen and make me do like little push-ups. That was my training. Like, just get move your feet up. That's all <laughs> I was doing. He was, all right, you're good. Take a breather. <laughs> Peter Siegel, I'm happy you took time out of your busy day. Thank you, my friend. Love seeing to you. To come visit you. Come visit. I did not know that you had won eight Emmys. Uh, local Los Angeles area Emmys. Okay. They're a little I, smaller. Okay, whatever. You still want something. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Something. It's like It's like Lee won the contest of flappers. You won a pizza. <laughs> you still want something. You know what I'm saying? It's not the best pizza in the world, but you want yeah. a pizza. That's all that yeah. matters. No, I'm happy you took the time. I hope you come visit me again before the movie comes out. We'll and we do. Can get in more detail. Yeah. So has she released the trailer on her? Yeah, it's out. Trailer's out. Um, it's online, I guess. Yeah. Uh, wherever you find it online, but I'd go, you know, to her Instagram. You probably find it. So there's only uh, 77 million other people on there. So easy to find. Uh, like I like I said when you came in here, I love your Twitter. I hope more people follow you on Twitter. Thank you. And, and Instagram. Instagram. Where do they go to find you on Instagram? Instagram. Well, I, I got the blue check recently. Oh, shit. You yeah. got verified? I got verified. All right. So they just say, I guess I'd just say Pete Siegel and it gets to me. But if not, it's at Pete underscore Siegel. You know, I like what you're doing as a director. You give people a look into your world. And I think, you know, now I think I just shot something a few months ago. And when I got there, they made me sign something. And they didn't want no pictures taken. And I thought it was so weird. I got a half a million followers. You don't want me to take a picture of me on the TV set with the director or hmm. one of the stars of the show. They were so social media uh, scared. And hmm. then, no, no, we have our own people. We, your people suck dick. Hmm. That's why you got 1,100 <laughs> people following you. You know what I'm saying? They don't yeah. know what they're doing. You just hired a college yeah. student. Uh, I like what you do with Thanks, social man. media. That's why I kept bugging you to come in because yeah. you're onto something. When I see those pictures and shit, you're on to something. Thanks, man. So don't be a fucking stranger. No. When does the movie get released? 
Thanksgiving. So day before. we'll see you after that. Yeah. We'll see you after that. We'll talk some yeah. shit about the movie and stuff like that. Thank you very much for coming Thank in. You. Thank you. the time. And uh, I love you to death. Love Don't you forget, too. you little dirty bastards. Everything sold out this weekend. Bah, where am I going? Philadelphia and fucking even... Listen... Hurricane, no no hurricane could stop me. I'm getting on that plane tomorrow. Tip top Magoo, headed to fucking Philly. And then Saturday night, I'm at the 930 Club. But I'll see you guys uh, next week. I want to thank Peter Siegel again for coming on the show. You know I love you, brother. Anyway, listen, I got to talk to you people about something that's important. Football season is upon us, okay? It's time to make some gitas for the holidays. And you know me, if it ain't my bookie, I don't fuck around. Ever since I started the podcast, you people always torture me. Who, who do you like? Over and under. I don't know, Dick. I don't know nothing. The only thing I know is my book. You got to check it out because it's not as important as what you're betting on as who you're betting with because you want to get paid. Trust me, these guys are the best bet you'll have all goddamn season. First off, they've been in business for years. They got great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. I would only recommend the service to you guys. That's been good to me. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You know why? Because you win and they pay. That's it. They have an in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you could even bet the over, under, and how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Where do you get that type of action from? My bookie, bitch. That's who. So do me a favor. Go to my bookie and join now, and they'll match your deposit. You ready for this one? Dollar for dollar. Use promo code CHURCH, C-H-U-R-C-H, to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's MyBookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code CHURCH, C-H-U-R-C-H, when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. Again, MyBookie. You play... You win, you get fucking paid. And that's the most important thing. Number two, you're sitting there scratching yourself, looking at your mother and father going, I don't know. I don't know what I am, what I do. Here's what you are. 23andMe. 23andMe is a DNA testing service that can offer insights into your ancestry, health, wellness, and traits. 23andMe Health and Ancestry Service includes reports on how your DNA can influence your weight, sleep, quality, and caffeine intake, sense of taste, and whether you're likely to be lactose intolerant, and more. And it's easy to do. You just spit into a tube provided by your 23andMe kit, and you mail your saliva sample back to the lab to be analyzed. The bitter taste report versus the sweet and salty reports. The DNA play a role in determining your fruit preferences, from sweet to salty to bitter. They got sleep reports. The deep sleep report tells you if you're most likely to be being an especially deep sleeper. The deep sleeper movement report tells you how much you're likely to move during your sleep based on your DNA. That's the kind of, listen, the lactose intolerant report sheds insights how your genetics may affect your ability to digest dairy products. That's all by just spitting into a tube and sending it to 23andMe with the kit and mail your saliva sample back to the lab to be analyzed. It's that simple. So do me a favor. Order your 23andMe health and ancestry service kit Today, right now, today, order your 23andMe Health and Ancestry Service Kit at 23andMe.com slash church. Again, 23andMe.com slash church. That's the number, 23andMe.com slash church. Listen, you're going to find out a lot of good stuff that you want to know. So go to 23andMe.com right now. Thank you. 
Thank you for supporting the church. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for supporting Lee. But most importantly, for listening and uh, being family. You know, I love you motherfuckers with all my heart. I'll see you this weekend. You understand me? Whether it be at the fucking Philly Parks Casino or at the 930 Club, you bad motherfuckers. I love you. Stay black. Lee, kick this fucking mule. Yeah.